Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Well, we're going to do something a little different today. So if, if this is your first time at Redeemer, this is not normal. Either it's going to work really well, and maybe we'll do it again, or it's going to go horrible, and we'll just scrap that and do something different next week. Um, but we're going to co-teach today. Me and Stephen. Stephen is our community life pastor. So real, why don't you tell um, our church kind of what are, your, what are some of your main roles with Redeemer? Yeah, so I'm Stephen. I'm the community life pastor. Um, I oversee small groups, local missions, and men's ministry. Yeah, and so what we're going to talk about today really is probably one of the biggest strategies we have to be involved missionally in our community, and so that's why I wanted Stephen to be up here with me. Uh, before we get started, just kind of to, to get the ball rolling, uh, we wanted to, wanted to talk a little bit about some things that we've lost, some things that we have misplaced or lost, and just kind of the, the frustration that we have with that. And so we've kind of created a, a, a top 10 list, if you will, of things that we've misplaced. I think for me, something that I tend to lose a lot, um, remotes. And so you might think like it's in the couch. It's not. Um, it's just as likely to be upstairs, under the sink, in a basket filled with travel-sized toiletries as it is in a couch cushion because of kids. Yeah, I can totally identify with that. Uh, for me, it's probably tools. When I think about the most frustrating thing that I look for and can't find, it's tools. They normally walk off with my eight-year-old son, and I might find a hammer stuck in the side of a tree, or I might find a Phillips screwdriver hammered into my driveway. Um, tools. 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 Um, cell phone. I don't believe in using a ringer. I just never want to be the person that has a ringer go off when someone's preaching. And so, um, and so it's always on silent. I don't know what my ringer sounds like. So if I misplace my phone, it's, a, it's an adventure. Get quiet. <laughs> <laughs> my, my next one is golf balls. Some people, when they play golf, they keep score. When I play golf, I just try to, to lose fewer golf balls every time. That's a good score. How do yeah. you... How do you what are you, in the 80s? I'm in like the five or six every time. I try okay. to. Better than I thought. Yeah. Um, keys. I've misplaced my keys a few times. We have the handy-dandy hook that you put them on. Still misplace them. I've, one time I completely lost them. You know, and keys aren't cheap to replace these days. Got chips and stuff in them. Yeah. Um, we have some animals at our house. So my next one is chickens. Sometimes we lose the chickens. And they just wander off. And they're kind of like herding cats. They're really hard to, to get to go where you want them to go. But they'll be up in a tree. They'll be in a stump. They'll be maybe dead on the side of the road. I don't know. <laughs> can chickens fly that high? They can fly a little bit. All right. Um, yeah, I've lost my dog a few times. Um, and I don't, like, I don't know if you ever lose your dog, but mine always comes back wet. Like, I don't know if he's found a pond, a neighbor's pool, or people just hose him down. Like, he looks miserable. Let's just get them cooled off. My next one is this ring on my finger. I one time lost it in the Nolichucky River, and it was gone for like 30 seconds to a minute, and I happened to, to be able to find it again. But that was about 10 years ago, and here it is. Yeah, that probably 30 seconds felt Terrifying. like a couple days. Good. Um, my worst thing the, thing, the thing I've lost that's probably the worst is not really a thing. Um, I lost my son at Disney World once, um, and... <laughs> He's the middle child, and so there will be a day when it will be like middle child syndrome day, and he's going to trace it back to that moment, I know. Yeah, I've lost my middle child too, but that's not what I wrote down. <laughs> um, if you drive a Toyota, you know the little hub lock key, the little 
for your lug nuts, you try to go to get your tires rotated and you don't have that, you can't accomplish the goal. So it's the hub lock for my wheels. I've lost that a number of times. Yeah, and um, I'm from San Antonio and, um, and there's a purpose for those. You don't want to come out with your car in center blocks, so that prevents that from happening. I would rather someone steal my wheels. All right. Because insurance covers that, right? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, anyways. Well, hey, if, if you've ever felt um, the frustration uh, or just the, the maddening emotions that go along with searching for something, so I'm trying to find it. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. I've cleared everything out. I don't know where it's at. That's the underlining tension that we're supposed to have as we read today's text. I want you guys to think about something you've lost, to, to put yourself in that frame of mind of you've looked, you can't find it, to feel that tension um, as, we, as we read through and work through today's text. So if you've got your Bibles, in Luke 15, uh, we're going to start in verse 1 and work through verse 10. All right, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. All right, so, so what's happening here is in chapter 4 of Luke, Jesus begins his ministry. He starts I'm showing how he's going to come and, and give sight to the blind. He's going to give freedom to the captives, and he's going to have this incredible ministry. He's going to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament. In chapter 10, he invites his disciples. They're on this journey to Jerusalem, and he invites his disciples into his mission to seek and save the lost. So he says, hey, this is what I'm about, and this is what you should be about. All right? And so now in chapter 14, Jesus is at a table. And he's eating. And so when you think about the table, for us, it might just be something friendly that you do. I'll have you over to dinner. I just want to be hospitable. I want to be Southern. And, uh, and that's not really what's happening in this ancient culture. What's happening to eat at the table with someone was to say, hey, I want to be your friend. It was an invitation to friendship. It was a way of saying, I want to be in community with you. So there's two different groups of people here. There's the religious elite and then there is the social outcast or the social, like the scum of the earth. And, and so Jesus is reclining at the table with the social outcast, which is a way to say like, hey, I want to be friends with you guys. And the religious leaders are hearing this and, and they're really kind of confused about that. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so like, why would you want to hang out with people why? that don't want to be godly? Correct. Right. All right. So why don't you read verses three and four for me real quick? So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Yeah, so what's happening here is you have a guy who has some sheep. An average flock was anywhere from 20 to 200. So he's got a hundred. It's a pretty modest amount of sheep to have. He's counting them off to make sure he has them all. He gets to 99 and there's not a hundredth. So something's gone wrong. One is missing. And what does he do? He leaves the 99 to pursue the one. We don't know if he passed the 99 off to his friends or to a neighbor. Hey, watch these, these, these sheep. Or if he just ran off, we're not given those details. But either way, he goes and pursues the one. All right? So, Stephen, you mentioned losing chickens. Right. So you've got some farm animals. I can't identify with that. But, like, if, what's, if you're losing an animal, what's going through your mind, on, like, on a scale of, like, Worst case, um, best case scenario, where are you at? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking the worst. If one chicken's missing, I'm thinking coyote, fox, possum, raccoon, hawk. There's so many predators. They're gonna, there's going to be a massacre somewhere, and I'm going to find it in the dark woods. 
All right, just feathers everywhere. Feathers everywhere. Yeah, so who knows what this guy's thinking about, but there's a good chance that he's going to that worst place, wondering about predators and what's happened to, to his, his lost sheep and how's he going to find it. So he runs out and looks for it. Then let's continue in verses 5 and 6. It says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So we don't know how long this search took. We don't know how long he was looking and, and searching, but he finds the sheep, he throws it up on his shoulders, and he is beyond happy. He's joyful. And when he gets home, I'm sure some neighbors knew, like, hey, be on the lookout for Sam. He's gone missing. And, um, and so he gathers them and says, hey, we, we found him. He's good. And, and you guys know how much this sheep meant to me. So would you rejoice with me? All right. And, and so, um, Stephen, read verse, verse 7 for us. It says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, so Jesus is using an earthly scenario and showing us how that relates to a heavenly picture. And that brings us to the next parable. In verse 8, it says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so the imagery is, is similar. You have a, a lady that has 10 coins. Like, how much is that? That's about 10 days worth of working. So she's saved up 10 days worth of money to live off of or to have in her emergency fund. She loses a tenth of that. She loses a coin, about a day's labor. And so she starts searching. And it's like this careful search. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the room. It takes time. It takes effort. And then once she finds it, she rejoices and she invites others. So, so Stephen, how does this parable kind of compare, this earthly picture compare to what we see in heaven? Jesus said that the angels are just as excited as the woman uh, when someone comes to faith in Christ. Yeah. So I, throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, we see a lot of parables. And sometimes they're pretty confusing. Where, where I, I don't know about you, but I've read parables and I've gone, what does that mean? And then I hear someone preach on it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I never would have got that on my own. Right? And so, so on, on a scale of difficult to understand to easy to understand, how would you rate these particular two parables? Thankfully, I think this is one of the simple ones. And uh, quite simply, it's that God has a heart to save sinners and that he wants us to be on mission with him. So his disciples should share in what he's doing to make that happen. Is, is that kind of what it is, or am I missing anything? You're not missing anything, all right? So, so real quick, this parable shows us that God has a heart to search for those who are far from him. And he's inviting us as his followers to do the same, all right? It's pretty simple. Like God searches and seeks out those who are lost, who are in need of salvation, and he wants us to take part in what he's doing. I do want to highlight one thing before we move on. Um, I think it's interesting that he uses the illustration of sheep. I mean, he could have used any farm animal out there, but he chose sheep, and he did so very intentionally, right? And so uh, sheep is, is kind of like a, a low-level insult, if you will. I remember one time I was walking through downtown with my, my middle child, Wit, um, the one that got lost, and this guy who I don't know walks up to us, and he, he looks at me, looks at Wit, looks at Wit, looks at me, and I don't, I don't, I don't know this guy. And he goes, your son's going to be a good lineman one day. 
I was like, he goes, he's built like his dad. It's like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, 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 can I get tight end or something? Like, he goes, he's got a good base and long arms. I'm like, I think this is a compliment, but it also might be an insult. All right? And so, and so when he talks about sheep, he does so because sheep are, I mean, they're, they're highly valued. They're deeply loved, which is good, but they're also dumb. And they're constantly wandering off, getting lost, and in need to be saved. And so what's interesting is when he finds the sheep, what does he do? Does he put a leash on it? Because, like, if I lose Barrick, my dog, I put a leash on him, and I walk him home. And he walks home. He's like, is dad going to get mad? Yes. Right? And, um, and so we, we just guide him along. But the sheep isn't guidable. In other words, the sheep can contribute nothing to its salvation. The shepherd has to literally put it on his shoulders and do all of the work from start to finish. And so what he's doing is he's showing how we are the sheep, that we are those who can contribute nothing to our salvation and that Jesus has to do all of the work from start to finish. All right? And so what you see is, man, like we're one, we're infinitely lost. All right? The reason why he shows sheep is because he wants us to realize that we are infinitely lost that's bad news. The good news is that we are also infinitely loved, infinitely valued, and infinitely treasured. We are God's lost sheep or his lost coin. He would do anything to get us back. And in fact, he has. He sent Jesus to put us on his shoulders where he lived the life we couldn't live, perfect, without sin, and died the death that we deserve so that we could have eternal life. And we put our faith into him. This text shows us that there is rejoicing in heaven at one sinner who would repent and turn towards Christ. All right, so, so what do we do with this? Right? Like as, as we're reading this parable, we're saying, okay, like what, how do we bring that home? Why is Stephen up here with Jeff? Um, I want to make sense of it. Well, at the very beginning, he says, what man of you? Right? And, and maybe some of your translations say, suppose one of you. What Jesus is doing in telling the parable this way is he's inviting his reader to see themselves as the shepherd. In other words, he's teaching his followers to do as he does. So he wants us to take part in what, what God's doing to seek and save the lost. And that kind of brings us to, to an initiative that we're launching. And so, Stephen, why don't you tell us a little bit about how we as Redeemer can really put meat to the bones or put traction to the road um, with living out this parable? Yeah, so the initiative is called the Love One Initiative. And what we, the way we want to structure things is we have a local missions fund, and we support local missions by partnering with organizations here in town. Uh, in addition, we're trying to bolster opportunities for us to serve as a church out in the community to, to help build relationships and, and love people. Uh, but when we got to thinking about it, we have you know, anywhere between four and 600 people that, that come on a Sunday and that would call Redeemer home. And the Love One initiative really is going to you guys and saying, what if you took one person who doesn't know Jesus, and what if you were intentional uh, to, to pursue them, and, and what kind of a difference would that make um, in our city? So quite simply, we look at the example of Jesus in Scripture, and we see that uh, people come to know him through relationship. Uh, he went to them where they were at, and he touched their lives with love and care for them. So just like Jesus, we believe that us as believers should be engaging uh, the lost in meaningful relationships. And, and so that's our challenge to everyone here in this room is to find one person uh, that you commit to intentionally love and pursue for the gospel and to faithfully pursue that person from now until they know Jesus. 
Um, if you look around the room, we're each in a unique position. Each of us has different jobs. We live in different neighborhoods. We're, we're all around the, the city. Each is in a unique position to love the people who are in our lives, um, our neighbors at large, and just to be present and to show up with the gospel of grace. Uh, so, so we believe that each of us should, should pray and we should ask the Lord to give us that one person. Uh, it could be a person, a family, or a group of your neighbors, um, and really leverage all that you have all that you've been given uh, to love them with the love of Christ um, by sharing your life with them, praying for them, serving them, supporting them. And it, it might take a month. It might take 15 months. It might take 20 years, uh, but to love them toward Christ. Uh, Jesus had 12 disciples. He loved three the most. And, and we really believe that each of us could surely love one um, really, really powerfully. Uh, people hopefully walk into churches every Sunday and they hear the gospel and they, they turn their life to him. But the front lines of evangelism has always been and will always be personal relational interaction. Um, so in our fast-moving, busy culture, this can be tough. Uh, developing these relationships can be difficult. Uh, but we make, things, we make time for things in life that are most important, and this has eternal significance. Yeah. So this is either the most creative or the least creative initiative name we've ever had yeah. to love one, which right. simply means that everyone in here loves one right. person. Yeah. The sheep could have come up with that. Yeah. We're sheep. We're dumb. <laughs> we, um, man, I, I think that's incredible. Um, just to, to think through what would that look like? If we as a church, really, if every person said, okay, if there's, is there one person that I'm strategically next to? That's not by accident, whether it's a neighbor, an employee, but someone that God's put me next to that I can intentionally love towards knowing Christ. Um, something that, that really has been just eating at my heart over the last year or so is that statistically, 20% uh, of Johnson City is going to come to a church on Sunday morning. 80% won't. Now, of that 80%, some people are, are traveling. There's like, we'd rather go to Dollywood. Um, or they're doing other things, they're, they're, but they're involved with the church. Uh, but a vast majority of that 80% has no involvement with church and doesn't know Jesus at all. And so what it feels like is that a lot of churches, and this is, this is just as much of a push on us as it is anyone else, it, we can fall into this trap of saying, how do I get the 20% to come to my church? And, um, and instead, like, I want us to shift as a church to say, like, hey, how do we run after the 80 how do you, and so and the answer to that's not programs. It's not about having a better this, a better that, or a cooler this, or a cooler that. The, the, the answer is that it's our people. Like our people are going to be way more effective to that end than anything we can do as like a corporation. You know, like as a, as a, as a, as a I'm, that's not the right word at all. That I'm organization. For. Organization. Um, so, so to that end, we want to say, okay, let's leverage our people. Um, that's, a, that's an incredible resource and, and how to do that. Well, Stephen, um, that sounds really simple. Um, it's like, hey, just pick one person, run after them. But we're filled in this room with, we've got young professionals. We have some empty nesters. We've got some people that it's like, hey, I'm a parent. I'm just trying to keep my head above the water. We've got students and everything in between. So if you were to speak to them and say, like, hey, here's how you can practically just take some steps to living this out. Like, how do we do that? Yeah, our culture makes it really hard on us, so it's not easy. But um, I came up with three words that all start with the same letter, so they're easy to remember. And that's pray, plan, and pursue. So pray. 
the founder of Young Life once said that evangelism without prayer is the highest form of arrogance. So it would be the worst thing we could do to just run out these doors, run into our city, and start trying to thump people on the head with our Bibles. Um, we need the Lord to intervene. So we need to pray that he would work, uh, that he would send his spirit, because we don't have the power in ourselves to save anyone. We need him. Um, so quite simply, asking God to bring a person to mind and then committing to pursue that person. Second is to plan. So since we have such busy lives and schedules, we have to figure out how to fit this into it. Uh, but we need to have a strategy for closing the ground. So figure out how you're gonna begin closing that ground. Will you visit a place more often that you already go? Uh, will you change your route across town so that you bump into a person more often? Will you change your budget so that you can get more coffee instead of less coffee? Or uh, how can you strategize as much as you possibly can to align your natural life rhythms with the life rhythms of the person you're pursuing? Um, and then commit to a number, like once or twice a week. You're going to interact in a meaningful way uh, with, with the person that you choose. So pray, plan, and then pursue. When I say pursue, I mean you have to gain proximity. So maybe you just have talked about the weather with your barista. Uh, maybe they recognize your face, but they don't know your name. So taking the step to officially introduce yourself. Um, say, hey, I see you in here all the time. I just want to let you know my name. And what, what's your name? And then conversation can start to roll. Um, next time, ask, ask a few personal questions. Uh, start to get to know them a little bit on a life level. There's kind of three levels of proximity that I think about when I interact with people. One is their ground. The next one is neutral ground. And the third one is my ground. So their place, neutral, and then my place. So start on their ground. Uh, gain some familiarity and depth to the point that you can invite them off of their turf into the neutral turf. So maybe that's a social event with lots of people that you know or lots of people they know. Maybe you get to go do something on kind of their neutral turf. Uh, but to begin gaining some familiarity outside of that first location. And then as you do that a few times, gaining the right to be able to ask them to come onto your ground. Uh, invite them to your home for dinner uh, or over to a close group of friends' house for an evening together, uh, a bonfire, something like that. Before you know it, you'll have non-believers mixing with your believing friends and those believing friends influencing your non-believing friends and vice versa. And then over the course of the year, you may be surprised at some of the conversations that happen and the opportunities that surface uh, to discuss deep life issues and, and spiritual issues as well. Awesome. So I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. You've started the journey of CrossFit. You're fully in the cult. All right. So, so let's just say that you're going to a coffee shop and, and you, you see the the guy, and you start to get to know him, and then as you're kind of going there frequently, you're having you find out that he's actually into fitness, and so that's that's really you're meeting him on his ground, and then you say like, hey, my gym's got a free workout on Saturday. Would love like love, why don't you come hang out? And so he comes there. Now it's on neutral ground, mm -hmm. and then you're doing a bonfire on a Friday night um, with chickens running around, <laughs> and um, and you're like, hey, some dudes are coming together, and uh, we're gonna have a bonfire, just hang out. Why don't you come hang out with us? And all of a sudden, I was on your turf. That's kind of like how that could just look as far as that pursuit. Yeah, and that whole progression might take three days or it might take six months, depending on the person. My loved one, I have one that I'm pursuing right now. I've invited him. We're, we're on the neutral 
we're like trying to take the neutral step. You know, I'm trying to get him to come hang out with me and my friends. And I've invited him five or six times. And I'm just going to keep inviting him. No pressure. I'm just going to keep inviting him. My loved one literally moved in the middle of the night a couple weeks ago. <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> I could find a new one. Got to find a new or, one. Or find him. He's a lost sheep. Like, you watch Redeemer. I'm going to go find some people. Um, so, Stephen, look, I get it. I've been doing ministry long enough to know that if we really push this hard, we could get some excitement. I mean, we could get Love One cards. Everyone could put it. We could make a cool, like, Redeemer with light bulbs. And, like, and everyone comes to Christ, we'll, like, screw in the light bulb, and eventually we'll <laughs> fill it out. And, uh, like, we could do cool stuff like that. And, and, but at the end of the day, this motivation, like, you might be, like, right now going, I know who my Love One is. Like, you might be thinking, I got it. But the chances of you pursuing that person, just let's just, let's just be honest, is probably slim. Um, a lot of people will say, like, I'm just not going to do that. And, um, and so what are some of the things that are going to hold us back? Because, like, what, what are the big things that really keep people from making that step of saying, hey, I, w- I want to pray, I want to plan, and I want to pursue? Yeah, I mean, the three things that come to mind first are just busyness. Everybody's busy. Um, I say I'm busy a lot, and I'm trying to stop saying that, and I'm trying to not be as busy as I currently am. But we're all busy. Um, so just not getting out and making this plan quickly is, could hold us back. If we don't leave today and schedule a time to sit down and make the plan to pursue our loved one, you know, two or three weeks will go by and we'll never do it. So busyness. The second one is fear. I think everyone has fear when it comes to um, pursuing someone who doesn't know Christ, especially in our culture today that's so polarizing. Um, you know, you can be labeled a certain way. Uh, you can be worried about saying or doing the wrong thing or offending someone. Uh, so, so there's a big chance that fear could paralyze us and keep us from ever getting started with this. And then the third thing is, is going it alone. Not many people like to go it alone in anything in life, um, but it would be really good if you could find a friend or someone in your small group or someone that you're neighbors with uh, to kind of work in tandem. Both of you have a loved one and you kind of overlap a little bit. And that'll help significantly with um, just consistency and, and sticking to it. And as I look at scripture, I know that we're not hopeless in this. Uh, we're not dependent on our own strength. Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy 1, uh, 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So the work is that of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but we are called to labor and leverage everything we have to love one. Yeah, that's great. Um, so quick recap, if we want to be like Jesus, if we're following Jesus, we're called to be like Jesus, right? And so if we want to be like Jesus, we need to have a heart for those who don't know him. Right. And so we can all pick one person and say like, hey, God's laid this person in my heart. I want, to, I want to love them towards Jesus. To do that, three things, right? Pray, plan, and pursue, all right? And so that, that's pretty simple. Things that might hold us back. We're too busy, so we need to budget our time for this. It's a, it's a high value. Another is fear. I get it. I'm, I, I get fearful, and this is my job. Right. Um, and then third is just lack of accountability. Like We need people to, to run with us to say, I need you to ask me who's your loved one. And my hope is that, that you'll celebrate with me and that I'll celebrate with you. Yeah. Um, so accountability. Uh, are there any other things, just final thoughts of like steps that are important for us to have if we're going to live this out? Yeah, I mean, kind of a recap with a few more things in there is just, first, we just need to ask God to lay someone on our heart. That's the first thing. I mean, sometimes we don't even sit down and be quiet for long enough to even be cognizant of someone that we might be able to pursue. 
Um, some of us in this room may not even know a non-believer, quite honestly. Uh, they may not be in our circles. Um, and then some, some people in here may have 15 people, and it's going to be hard to choose. Who do I, who do I run after? Because there's so many. Um, and, and, you know, maybe you're the type of person that can love five. I don't know, but love one is the starting point. So we ask God to lay someone on our heart and think through the people that you already know, neighbors, coworkers, someone at the gym, uh, someone on your kid's soccer team, their parents, or, uh, but someone that you're either fairly close with or maybe it's somebody you don't know well at all, uh, but you cross paths with regularly and you could increase that if you tried. Uh, second is get someone to hold you accountable. Get someone to, to run with you. So who's going to check in on you? Who's going to see how you're doing? Who's going to encourage you and celebrate with you? Um, and think about this. Jesus says there's going to be rejoicing in heaven when one person turns from sin to him. So who's going to sit there and rejoice with you one day if your loved one comes to Christ and is, is baptized one day? Maybe right here in this room. How cool would that be? Um, and then third, just walk out of here determined to take the first step. Uh, don't stand on the side of the pool and never jump with your toes hanging over the edge. Just take the step and lean forward. Um, pencil it into your calendar. Set an alarm on your phone. Get some time to schedule this and uh, just remind yourself to pursue this. And then just do it. Um, I think it's important to, to empathize with the life circumstances and the visible wounds that we see in people as we pursue them. Um, put yourself in their shoes. Anticipate their needs. Love them consistently, unwaveringly, and just sacrifice and, and run after these people. Yeah. And I can't wait. I can't wait to start to hear stories and to see how you guys are taking part in what God's doing. I can't wait to celebrate where we do baptisms, and it's, it's a picture of this heavenly rejoicing. Um, so I think God's up to something. Um, but it, for us to really run through this, it's, it's not about being motivated by guilt. I could give you statistics. I could talk to you about the harsh reality of God's judgment, and those things are true. Um, but they're just poor motivators. Um, it's like a, a, a cheap caffeine pill or something. It's, it'll have a shelf life. The only sustaining motivation for us to be a people who will love one towards Christ is to know the gospel deeply. So, Stephen, just final words. How does the gospel or how should the gospel grip our hearts to this end? I think the starting point is just to, to rest and receive the gospel and to remember all that has been done for us. Uh, that we've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of light and how incredible that is and how undeserved that is and how um, Christ pursued us, he continues to pursue us, and he will always pursue us. Um, and the, just the love that we should feel from our Father because of that, um, if the love in our hearts based on the gift that we've been given is overflowing, uh, something like love one will come a lot more naturally. Uh, so... Christ wants to pursue us. He wants us to be a, an open conduit to pursue others. Again, it's not up to our power, um, but God knows that, that it's, he doesn't need us to turn people to Christ. He can do that on his own, but he wants to include us. He chooses to include us because he knows that some will come to him, but also it will change our hearts as believers, and it will be a beautiful thing. Uh, so we can be thankful that he includes us on the journey, and we can run out with, with passion based on what he's done for us. Well, hey, I'm going to pray for us, and here's what I'm going to do. I just, I'm going to be silent for a little bit, maybe even to a point of uncomfort. Um, but I want you guys to really think through, if, is God laying someone on your heart? Um, and take this time of silence just to really ask God, is there someone that he's put on your heart to be your loved one? And then I want to encourage you. 
um, if you get that person, that, if that comes quickly, to tell someone today that will hold you accountable um, and the, to, to take steps to live this out. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to move towards a time of communion. Father, I fully trust and I fully believe that every name that came to a mind just now is a name of someone that you are in pursuit of. I let that sink in for us, that you are pursuing the heart of the person that you've laid on our minds. And you're inviting us to take part in what you're doing to rescue their souls and to bring them into a right relationship with you and to bring them into eternal life. What a privilege. God, I I know that we're going to face a spiritual attack on this front. So God, I ask that you would protect us that you would give us strength from Christ and Christ alone to fight through that and to pursue. God, I ask that you would give strategic thinking to the unstrategic mind. God, I ask that you would let conversations happen naturally. God, that you would be the initiator of spiritual conversations just to, to break the ice on our behalf. God, I I plead with you and I beg for you to bring salvation to Johnson City. God, I I know, God, I know that as as we sat and thought, there were were ethnicities that came to mind. People who are Indian, people who are Hispanic, people who are of other foreign descents, people who are here in our town that are a picture of the nations, God, because you are a God of the nations. God, we ask that you would bring salvation, that the gospel would move fast, move powerfully, and that we would be part of your great mission to seek and save the lost. God, it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.